Welcome everyone to the Human Everywhere podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jason Bott. Human Everywhere is a production of Deep Space Predictive. We want to look into the future of space travel and space exploration. We want to look into our civilization's efforts to get off of this planet and to explore the stars. But we want to make sure that as we do so, we remember that being human is critical to the mission that we are looking at ways where right now we could see mission drift in that very question. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human amongst the stars? What does it mean to keep human at the center of all we do as we go off planet? Let me turn this over to my other co-host, Yubi Simieri. Yubi, talk to us about what we have on the docket today. Thank you, Jason. Hello, everybody. Yes, this is Yubi Simieri, part of the Deep Space Predictive team and one of your co-hosts. We're excited Uh, today to talk to Eric Ingram. Eric and I met actually at this really cool summit called Startup of the Year in Tampa, Florida in January of this year, where uh, Eric and his organization, Scout, actually won. So it was a really cool experience. Um, So we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, But first of all, Eric, uh, welcome. And how do you usually... I guess introduce yourself to people. You know, what do you, how do you tell people who you are? Who's Eric? <laughs> gotcha. Uh, it kind of varies, um, but you know, for this, I'll kind of describe myself as a a jack of all trades in the space industry who uh, is pretty used to having to forge paths to make things happen. So, um, yeah. went to school for physics and electrical engineering, and have done everything from being an engineer at an asteroid mining company to uh, being a regulator for the government. So a uh, little bit of everything. Oh, very cool. And so, yeah, so talk about your path to, to Scout then. I mean, how did all that get you to this point to winning Startup of the Year and, and this path that you're on? Because it's a really fascinating concept, one that you know I don't think most people would, would think about, right, when you think about space. Definitely. And it's one that people will think about a lot more in the near future. So uh, Scout is developing next generation awareness technology and capabilities for space. Um, So vision systems for spacecraft and also uh, a network of in-space sensors to monitor space traffic, which is going to be growing pretty rapidly in the near future. But the way I got there uh, is is not a straight line. So Again, right right out of college, worked as an engineer at an asteroid mining company uh, called Deep Space Industries, and that's where I found out I was terrible at engineering, so I stopped (laughs) doing that, uh, and then um, went on to do some work in the nonprofit sector for both uh, inside and out of the space industry, but uh, a few different things there, and then uh, I landed at the FAA Office of Commercial Space Transportation, which is the licensing and regulating body for launch and re-entry. So I was the uh, deputy team lead for all SpaceX licensing. And then I was the team lead for uh, SpaceX Dragon licensing, and then served as the uh, subject matter expert for ground safety for the office and participated in a lot of rulemaking um, processes. Uh, And so total smattering of different experiences there. But what that gave me was the opportunity to see where there were gaps in the industry and to see where things were ramping up. Um, Launch is growing very rapidly, which means the number of things getting launched is going to grow much more rapidly along with that. 
and space is already crowded as it is. And the way we track things currently, while it works fine, won't be able to keep up with the growing traffic. And so I, I kind of connected all these dots and realized that there was a need for this enhanced bit of data. Um, that along with my CTO Sergio's experience back in 2017 of losing one of his own spacecraft to unknown causes. Mm. Uh, and his whole thesis was if he would have just been able to see his spacecraft, he would know what was wrong with it. Um, those things kind of coalesced into what Scout is today. So that's fascinating because I always, you know, you're talking about the spacecraft. Uh, I, I remember you saying something um, at the summit when you were talking about Scout, you know, that, that spacecraft are really built for one thing currently. And, and what's not built into that necessarily is sort of that spatial awareness of things around it, is it right? Like, how would you, how would you describe that? Spacecraft are really smart at one thing, whatever their job is supposed to be. So if you have an Earth observation spacecraft, you are designing it to be excellent at Earth observation. If it's a telecom spacecraft or satellite, you know, that's what you are making it great at. Um, and that's the same for everything down the line. They're really only good at one thing, and that's the, their main job. Everything else is kind of a secondary consideration and not the prime directive of the mission to kind of dive into random sci-fi terms. Um, <laughs> uh, and so being aware of its surroundings on board the spacecraft or from a space-based observer uh, is not a capability that exists today and is not a capability that is regularly incorporated to other spacecraft. And so um, that is a problem when you have a, an environment that is going to be increasingly more dynamic and complex going forward. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you even think of just the space debris, right, that, that are, that's out there, the however many tons, I mean, I think it's what, in, in your notes, it's 27,000 pieces of orbital debris or space junk, which there are companies trying to solve for that. But you know, if, if the movies teach us anything, it's like one little, you know, pebble can destroy everything in a second because you don't see it coming. And I know that, you know, that's extreme, but, but that's sort of the point, right? Is a lot of these things, we don't, you don't see it coming. Yeah. It's, you can't. <laughs> that, that is true. And it's um, theorized that there are hundreds of thousands of pieces of debris in orbit that we can't track today. Um, and with the scout systems, um, I'm not guaranteeing we'll be able to track all of them, but um, we will have better capability to, to track things in orbit, be it um, satellites or debris. Yeah, interesting. Man, so what, and so from a human perspective, I mean, how does, because is there sort of a general fear and, and maybe Jason, you know, you know, kind of or maybe I'm going with this, but like, is, is there a general human fear? Uh, just, just that right piece of it, of the, the unknown, right? Like not necessarily knowing where things are, but yet we're shooting up in a rocket to the space station or to wherever. Is that, is that a big driving force for something like this? 
So space is an environment that already has a lot of unknowns and um, the threat of debris or nefarious actors uh, or you know people doing bad things with their satellites um, is a problem and a concern. And the more transparent you can make space and the more observers you have in space, um, intrinsically, the safer it becomes. Uh, it's a lot easier to drive on the highway with your eyes open than with your eyes closed. And so um, we really just want to be the eyes of space. And so from that, being able to better track space, being able to de-risk it, uh, means things like human launches become safer, things like um, space stations become safer and all of that. And there are ways we can tie directly into um, those different systems and, and those different uh, operations to further uh, de-risk things going forward. So that's really where we see ourselves. It's um, enabling all the cool stuff to happen by just making the road safer to drive on. It's kind of interesting as you talk, I, I'm just trying to parse this out. And one of the things I think is remarkable is starting at the very step of what you've done right here, you begin to address, I think, one of the very, very deeply rooted and yet not spoken about fears of the future when it comes to space travel. And what I mean is, if you look and you even start considering, hey, let's getting past deep space or getting us past a you know, even our current world, the idea is humans trying to travel into space becomes very difficult. So we end up having to do it by proxy. Even right now, we are exploring our solar system, but we are not exploring it as the human being. And there are two paths where this goes. We have, you know, robotic rovers and we've got satellites, we've got all these things, but each of these are proxies for the lived human experience. And like I said, there are two paths that we can take. One is, we explore space, we explore off planet, and we continue to do it more and more and more by technology. And you've seen this already begin to happen, like what you're talking about in satellites. We are parsing all of that data, but it's coming through specifically in hard-coded data, travel speeds, location, you know, orbit, trajectories, all of these things, but we don't have eyes on it. And what you are doing is actually taking, you know what, Let's actually reintroduce the human to it. Let's make sure that humans can visually see and engage with that, what's actually happening there. Because like you said, there is something that one gentleman said, if I could have just seen it, then I would have known what's different. In other words, there is some level of experience and interaction and knowledge that the human can receive and operate in that cannot be displayed in just pure data. Um, and I think that's a very interesting thing. I mean, really, truly, your business model is based off of the fact that it requires human observation because in that is answers to problems, solutions, that no matter, you could ramp up all the data in the world, but the further you get the human from the actual experience, the more you're going to have problems. Am I understanding that correctly? I mean, you know? Partially correct. Yeah. Um, we intend for our data to be parsable by uh, computers or humans. Um, the majority of our data is imagery, which, you know, humans have a unique 
ability to comprehend, understand, and analyze that can't be at least yet reproduced by any machine. Um, by having the data the way it is and by using our um, the software stack we've been able to build up that allow the satellites to be able to take this data and process it autonomously to determine which of the data is the most important to prioritize it means that we can better prioritize getting the important stuff to the humans or to the decision makers in general to figure out what to do with. And so um, actually by removing humans from the loop from some of these processes, we can actually make it more efficient for humans to be involved in the process itself. I know that's kind of like convoluted a bit, but by being able to um, throw out all the data that doesn't matter <laughs> ahead of having to have a person look through it and make decisions on things um, is incredibly beneficial. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of an, an aspect of what we're doing. And as far as like robots versus human exploration, unfortunately, like humans are the squishiest part of uh, space exploration. And so um, there's a lot of design considerations that go in. I am totally a fan of human exploration. I don't know if I'm gonna upset anyone here, but I think like robots first is probably the way to go. Um, I'm not saying only robots, but definitely robots first, but that's, that's my opinion. I mean, to be fair, if someone offered me a ticket to go look at something, I'd probably go. You know, right. kind of own, own personal interest, but yeah. in general, you know, that's kind of my opinion. I'm curious as you're talking, because what you guys are doing in your company is very, very forward thinking. You would have thought with everything that's been happening, the side of visual data would have just been inherent in systems, but it hasn't. Um, where, where do you see your guys' technology going in the next three to four years? Um, as we're continuing to ramp up, I mean, I'm looking here right now in a very active space community from Artemis to all these other projects. I mean, we, we're on the cusp of a space revolution that is, we're in the middle, not on the cusp, we are in the middle of the space revolution. And so I'm curious, I can't imagine anyone at your guys' you know, organizations, you guys are right here trying to get involved in various missions and various you know, actual launches that you're not thinking that far ahead from what you can tell us without giving away secrets to the company, I'm curious. Well, all of my secrets are, no. Um, <laughs> imagine how crazy it's gonna be once space becomes mainstream, right? Like if you look at the Gaussian curve or the bell curve of product adoption, we're still at the very beginning of it, right? So it's gonna be um, very interesting once we hit, you know, the, the majority of, of that. Um, we as a species will launch more spacecraft in the next few years than we've launched in the entirety of human history leading up to it. Um, the paradigm will change. The experience will change. The way we have to do things will have to change. And we're really trying to get out ahead of that. Um, the capabilities we're developing are not dire right now. But as we're able to ramp up, the next three to five years is where that pivot point will occur. And what we wanna be, be positioned to be, what we're building up to being, is having a full network of our sensors in space to be able to monitor all of low Earth orbit. That means having continuous covering coverage of low Earth orbit, being able to 
continuously track every object in low Earth orbit. So you can think of every time a, a satellite goes past one of our sensors, it just gets handed off to the next one in our network and so on and so forth all the way around the orbit. And that in and of itself will be a complete game changer to how we understand and work with space. Hmm. Yeah, it's one, it, you know, the, the opportunity that you all have to work with so many other organizations who want to put your, uh, your, your, you know, I'm simplifying here, but you know, kind of your security camera system in place for their for their operations in low Earth orbit. I mean, it, it's just fascinating. Do you ever worry though on you know that 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 somehow some way you become known as like the big brother of space? You know what I mean? Do, you know, with that many eyes everywhere, the the you know does that? I don't know. I don't even know if that's a conversation that's come up yet, but. <laughs> that is potentially an issue until you realize how much we aren't tracking and understanding of the current space environment. Um, I think people think we know a lot more about what's going on in orbit than we do. I think they believe it's more real time than it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people probably believe it's much more invasive than even what we're planning to do. Uh, I'm sure there are some capabilities out there that are able to be the big brother of space. Um, I, I, I don't know if we'll necessarily be a threat to that. I think we'll just be an informer instead of the big brother. TBD. Sure. Yeah, right, right. Well, you know, and yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's Jason's asking about the next three to four years, but if you look even 20, 50 years out, uh, you know, there's the police of space, right? And there's the, I mean, there's going to be all kinds of interesting things where this sort of technology would would be a part of that, I would imagine. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, it, the potential is super, super interesting. Yeah. It's just a fascinating thing. And to get to your podcast, it services human exploration yeah. a lot. Um, one of the most dangerous things you can do uh, in space is an EVA, an extravehicular activity, <clears throat> when you have to exit the spacecraft or the um, space station or whatever by having one of our oversats nearby, which is our small uh, CubeSat spacecraft, we can do direct inspection of space stations so that we can re reduce the need for EVAs. Um, there are other companies working on fixing things in space. So maybe our vision systems combined with their repair capabilities solve for that problem. Um, a gimbaled scout vision system. So one of our hosted payloads that's on a gimbal, so like a turret rotating around. Uh, if you put a couple of those on a larger spacecraft or space station, you can do uh, like 360 degree observations around it. So that is more like a security camera looking for threats, be it debris or otherwise, uh, and just providing much more awareness. So, you know, there's multiple ways we tap into the space ecosystem to de-risk it. Um, it's not a one size fits all, but it's a, uh, I don't know the best way to put it, but we have a capability that addresses multi, multiple different facets of the industry 
um, and mm -hmm. can definitely be applicable to making space safer for both humans and robots. You, and I guess I, I asked this question looking at, we're in a very interesting moment also in a very geopolitical sense, you know, situation. I know, you know, this podcast will take a little bit before it gets up. I'm hoping by the time this is out that the conflict in the Ukraine is in Ukraine is absent and has ceased. I highly doubt it. Uh, one of the things that's been happening within the space community, though, is conversations of the risk now of various items being targeted. The uh, very interestingly, in a way, vague threat towards the ISS that went out from on Twitter last week from you know, a Russian uh, space administrator has people concerned. You know, a lot of people are interpreting his thing just simply saying, no, we just met, we're going to prohibit launches and you guys getting our launch capabilities. But a lot of other people felt there was a veiled threat to actually those items being targeted. Um, have you guys started to look at all or consider, because you said you're, you're talking about, you know what, this is a no way a defensive thing. But I mean, I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, how do we make our space assets more safe? And when we aren't getting information from other parties, oftentimes visual is the only way we can do it. Yeah, um, the situation in Ukraine is horrific and unnecessary. And hopefully by the time the public is listening to this, it is you know, over in a way that it can be in the best possible condition. Um, space is becoming a more contested environment. Uh, there are countries increasing their rhetoric on space as a domain that they want to control and all of that stuff. Um, we can certainly service the defense industry by providing data on the threats and awareness of what's going on. Um, if you look at a few months back, uh, Russia did an anti-satellite test where they launched a missile and hit one of their own retired spacecraft in low earth orbit, um, which I think at last count, it's up to like 1500 pieces of debris now that that one event caused just so they could show off capabilities. Um, being able to see and maybe predict these events from happening, uh, could prevent wars you know it's not always about the debris and about you know business operations but just knowing that you're going to be on camera for whatever you're about to do might make you rethink some of the things you're about to do um and if we're able to be a deterrent to in some way make space a little bit more peaceful on top of making it safer, um, that's how definitely something I would love to contribute in. Well, and I think it's a great segue into, because we, we always like to talk about the impact that, you know, our work in space might actually have back here on earth. You know, I think part of the disconnect maybe for most people is, well, why are we going to space when we have so much to do here? <laughs> But the, you know, the, I think the, the conversation we turn back on is that a lot of the things that we do in space or for space do impact Earth 
Um, and so what you're talking about is, is exactly one of those. And, and to your point, like, boy, wouldn't that be great to be able to, you know, just, just prevent certain disagreements and things here on earth. Um, but, but how else do you see the work that you're doing maybe impacting earth? I think a lot of it is is proxy through other operations going on. Mm-hmm. Um, again, making the road safe to drive on means you know a lot more people can drive their cool cars without being worried. Um, and so there's a lot of things that happen in space that do benefit Earth. Um, you know, if you think of weather satellites, climate monitoring, spacecraft, all of that, if you think of a lot of the research that is happening on ISS and a lot of the things that will happen on upcoming space stations, you know, water reclamation, um, medical research, all of that, which you can't readily reproduce on Earth, uh, is directly beneficial to humanity, um, you know, for various reasons. So you, if you figure out how to extract water from everything, then you can put that in the desert and, you know, make a, an oasis. Um, if you cure cancer, that's pretty self-explanatory. And so if we can, if Scout can improve the odds of that happening by reducing the amount of debris um, that gets produced, if we can forewarn people of potential collisions faster than they would have been otherwise, if we can help better manage space traffic to reduce um potential unwanted interactions of spacecraft, let's call it, you know, better manage the roads. Uh, that's how we tap into the betterment of humanity by b- being able to enable all of those important things to continue on safely and, um, and you know, produce the excellent results that they're, they're working to. Well, and, and yeah, I, I love that. And, and I, there's also some work that you're doing, uh, I believe, with, with an organization called Astro Access um, that, that really focuses on giving everyone access, right? Ultimately, you know, human everywhere, that's the name of the podcast. That's what we're trying to talk about here. But, how, you know, how do, we, how do we enable access literally for everyone in space? Yeah, it's, it's an exciting project. Um, you know, full awareness to the audience out there. Uh, I am in a wheelchair and have had my, I was born with my disability my whole life. So, you know, that's my perspective. Uh, and I'm a huge space nerd. Um, and I've applied to be an astronaut twice, knowing full well that I was going to get denied um, because of my disability. And so, well, probably for some other reasons too, but primarily that. Um <laughs> And so I was approached to help out with a project called Astrax, Mission Astro Access, which is working to make space accessible, space flight accessible to everyone, regardless of physical ability. So it is an effort to do research to figure out the best ways to accommodate everyone, the best adaptations to make for spacecraft and for space stations uh, to make it more accessible. And so we're looking at it from multiple angles. We flew our first uh, parabolic flight on the Zero-G Corporation plane last October. And you know we had a group uh, with mobility impairment 
that I was a part of, there was a group of uh, hearing impaired people, and then there was a, a group of uh, visually impaired people. So blind, deaf, and um, uh, mobility impairment were the three groups. And we looked at different ways that we can better operate in the microgravity environment, that we can safely get back to our seats before gravity returns, um, that we're not a liability, which I never thought we would be anyways. But you know, if there's none of these data points that exist, you have to produce them. And so um, it's been really exciting to be a part of that. We have more flights, hopefully, upcoming. Um, and um, it's been great to see the press and reach that that has gotten uh, both in the disability community, the space community, and uh, just the general community as well. well. Talk me through a little bit more because um, I purposely did not go out and research this. I remember in our pre-setup conversation, you told me about it and I didn't wanna come in preloaded all this stuff because I wanted to hear from you because this seems to be a very, very personal initiative that you're involved in um, already just from your couple of minutes of talking. Walk me through, what are some of the things that you guys are attempting to do? What are some of your goals um, for space access? And how are you trying to engage the broader, you know, whole of humanity? Because to me, this is incredibly engaging for me. This is incredibly exciting because I think when we talk about space, we keep talking about, you know, everyone has access to it. It belongs to everyone. Truly, there is an incredible uh, blind spot when people recognize right now, we're technically talking about no one without any form of, uh, you know, alternate abilities that prevents them from having access to space. And so I'm very curious what your insight would be and where you guys are going. We're at the very beginning of human spaceflight, even though we're 50-ish years into it, um, we're still at the very cusp. And so being able to contribute this early means these designs can be carried forward into whatever the future holds. Um, so we're working on ways to better adapt to a whole range of capabilities. So um, it's everything from positioning more handholds in appropriate places for navigation around the cabin to making sure you're able to reach your seatbelt uh, in a microgravity situation if you have varying disabilities. Um, it's if you're, how you're able to navigate and um, stop moving in microgravity. For the hearing impairment group, it's about under being able to be communicated to. Um, how do you know if there's an emergency? How can you uh, communicate outward um, any issues or things like that? So it's receiving and outputting uh, communication. For the blind group, it's all about self, uh, situ I forget the term. Uh, it's about knowing where you are inside the, the spacecraft. So uh, one of the things we're testing is textures. So different wall textures that identify where in the spacecraft you are and how to navigate to different places. So we're looking at ways to also incorporate all of the different designs so that we can minimize the amount of effort that goes into needing to put them into satellites and spacecraft. So I know the organization is, is in conversation with pretty much every 
human spaceflight entity that exists that we're friendly with uh, as a as a nation. And so, um, you know, since there's so few players, we're able to have those conversations. We're able to get their opinions and try to help them design out issues from the get go. I mean, the worst possible thing is to finally get your ticket to space and then realize there's not an elevator to get up to the space capsule. Um, you know, stuff like that is non-trivial, but, you know, could really be a deciding factor in even vision, you know, being able to present who's worthy of going to space, right? It should be everyone. So we need to reflect that in how we design things. I love that line that you just said, because you've just given voice and words to, I think, a sentiment that actually exists in the space community. And I, I hate to be someone who's trying to just create a, a platform or just trying to have, you know, a soapbox to stand on. But I think there is that. Of the, there is a very large question right now, who is worthy to access space? And there are some people that are making that answer as well. It's billionaires. Do you have the money? Right now, that's the very next. Or it's, well, you line up and you fit this demographic and you fit this, you know, physical set of specifications. For the longest time, it was white you know, active males um, that basically had the right stuff. We fell under the right stuff myth for the longest time. And I actually think that's still there, but I, I greatly appreciate you saying that because that is one of the difficulties right now with the space community is it is avoiding answering that question and simultaneously already answering that. It should be everyone, but right now it is not. And you're correct. If you start making these things now, 50 years from now, when these technologies are really, really, um, or these you know capabilities are very, very much activated, then we'll have the answers. So I, I deeply appreciate you putting word to that. Yeah, and per that question, um, I think there's also a communication issue that exists from the industry in how we put out that information. So I think there's not enough initiative put on by having these expensive tickets and being funded by billionaires, whatever, that doesn't matter. The point is like they're building the road to go up there, right? And it's expensive because the volume is small. In any industry, volume small means very expensive per unit cost. And so going forward, those options will increase and the ticket prices will go down. Five years ago, you could not go on a private flight unless you had like $50 million. Now I think it's like 400,000, yeah. right? And so that's substantial. And part of the story that gets missed is like people uh, say bad things about uh, Bezos all the time. And I'm not gonna say I haven't, but they talk about the joy ride and they talk about, oh, he, he's bringing his brother on the flight and blah, blah, blah. If I wanted to fly in a system and know that it was safe, having the guy who owns the company bring his family on the first flight <laughs> is pretty solid proof of belief in their safety. And so I think that part of the story really got missed is the fact that, you know, if you want to show belief in your system, put your family on it. Like that is, that's a pretty big statement that I think got missed. Um, 
and sorry to go on that that tangent there, but I have thoughts and opinions. <laughs> no, I think it's actually really good. I appreciate you actually going off on that tangent. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think you've raised a very critical point. Um, I would be lying to say that I haven't been one of the people that has been critical of billionaires. Um, not that I plan to necessarily stop because I think it is part of the messaging. And I think from my perspective, they hold some of the responsibility for that messaging. It's not just the external world that has to catch up and say that, but you're correct. It is a rapidly changing world. Um, and I hope that it continues to move along this curve and this trajectory. So I think that's very appreciated as your perspective. Same. And yeah, the communication has to be from the top down. It has to be from them. Um, the outside world shouldn't be the ones responsible for having to put that messaging together. Well, as we are coming near the end here, um, I'd like to ask Eric, any final thoughts, anything that you could or you want to share about what your guys' incredible what Scout.Space is doing right now and uh, how to access your guys' company, how to stay in touch with what you're doing? Um, any other final comments that you'd like to give just as we close out here and then allow Yubi to kind of send us on our way? Yeah, I, I mean, very exciting times for Scout. Um, you know, raised some funding recently, got our first defense contract as well as our first commercial contract all within the last three months. Uh, it, it's been great times. We're hiring, building up our team. Um, and, you know, we're really getting into our stride this year and we're going to be doing some amazing things. You can find us online on our website at scout.space or on all social, me social medias at scout.space with a dot spelled out as D-O-T because we're cheeky like that. And, um, you know, space is important to us in, the, in our modern existence. And uh, we're happy to be a means of keeping it a space place, a safe place to operate uh, for things like um, satellites, but also for uh, human expansion into the cosmos. So um, we're excited to be a part of the ecosystem. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story um, and, and for talking about this. Because to your point about communication, it, it's about having these conversations though too, right? Like it's, it's that, that's how we get everybody involved. Um, and it, we don't have to just be, you know, a, an astronaut, you know, part of the right stuff crowd you know, really, this is a conversation for all of us. So thank you, Eric. Um, it's good to see you again. And thank you all for tuning in to the Human Everywhere podcast. If you go to humaneverywhere.space, you can get to our website. And then from there, you can get to a lot of different streaming services like Apple and Spotify and Google podcasts. Um, so yes, thank you all again very much. Thank you, Jason. It was, uh, it was good to be back. We'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.